Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello, kia ora and namaste atago. You are hearing a brand new episode from Basement Writers. I am Arnold Hungana, your host today for this third episode in the in thought series. I would like to thank you all our listeners who encouraged us to move this storytelling to this thought series. I hope that you have been enjoying our stories. If you have tuned tuned for the first time, you can get all our episodes in podcast as well. Just go to www.oar.org.nz/events/basementwriters. Today I am here with you all with four stories. Three from our readers and one from myself. While listening to these wonderful writers, Phil Cafford, Kathy Stevens and Hazel Sinclair, you'll also be listening to my own story. That's titled "A My Grand Story of Identity, Belonging, and Hope." To begin with our first, I would like to welcome Hazel Sinclair. She is here with her story, "Karate Kid." Welcome, Hazel. Hello, Nadal. The inspiration for my story was from a young lad I met while I was doing my karate training. Johnny knew he was different since the accident. He lost his arm in a car accident. The car rolled, and he had. The window opened, feeling the fresh air when it flipped over, crushing his arm underneath. Unfortunately, the surgeon was not able to save his arm. It was amputated just below the elbow when he was six years old. His father was continually telling him not to put his hand out the window, but Johnny liked the feel of the air on his arm and hand as the car, driven usually by his father, speed through the streets. What could possibly happen? Johnny would think to himself. His father was a careful driver. As far as Johnny knew, he had never had an accident. But one day was different. Everything was quiet as they drove through the countryside. Suddenly, he heard a loud bang, and the car began to roll. It must have rolled over twice before coming to a stop, with his arm caught underneath. Is everyone okay? His father asked, looking around at his passengers. Everyone knew they had to have their seatbelts strapped in. Their father wouldn't drive off unless they had done so. Johnny was the only one who hadn't replied. Are you all right, Johnny? Johnny hesitated. This is going to be an "I told you so" moment. He thought to himself. My arm's caught, Dad, but it doesn't hurt. He replied, waiting for the barrage of words from his father. The ambulance is on its way, son. Came his father's reply. Johnny couldn't believe his ears. Nobody was able to get out of the car as they were dangling side on. When they got to hospital, he was taken straight to theatre, where his arm was amputated below his elbow. In the many years since, he had never heard the "I told you so" speech. He was never treated any different to his three siblings, and learnt how to manage as best he could. 
He learnt what would work for him and didn't, and didn't let anything hold him back. When he turned 12, he decided he wanted to learn karate after watching the Karate Kid DVD on numerous occasions. He didn't know how he was going to manage the wax-on and wax-off part with his right hand, but he would figure out a way somehow. His first lesson was taken by a sensei in a wheelchair, and Johnny was in awe of him. The sensei couldn't kick, instead using his arms to compensate. Johnny knew karate was what he wanted to do. When he was 13 years old, Johnny had the occasion to meet the master from Japan. They were punching and the master was going around and correcting their technique. He approached Johnny from his left-hand side, pulling his right hand to extend it out as far as his left arm had reached. He then apologised as he had not realised his right arm was shorter. When the blocking exercises began, Master Morio stood in front of Johnny, demonstrating how he should perform each block with his right hand. He was also shown different exercises to perform while the other students did push-ups and others involving his hands. This was also shown to his sensei, so it would be Johnny's regular routine. Over the years, Johnny was bullied at school for being different. It was the usual school bullies, and Johnny had never told anyone except his closest friends that he was taking karate lessons. When he was 16, one of the bullies decided to take it a step further, challenging him to a fight. I don't want to fight, Johnny told his rival. Do you mean you can't, you cripple? Russell sneered while his group of followers snickered in the background. No, I don't want to fight, Johnny replied. You don't have any say in the matter, cripple. I'm the one who decides who to fight. You don't want to do this. You can walk away, Johnny replied. Dude, you don't have any say. What part of that don't you understand? Russell threw his first punch to Johnny's face. Blocking as he had been taught, Johnny was able to deflect the punch away from him, sending Russell off balance. Russell came back with another face punch, once again deflected by Johnny, who had decided he didn't have to fight back, he could defend the blows. After two more futile attempts, Russell decided he was getting in nowhere. You learning something, Johnny? he asked. Yes, I am, Johnny replied. Russell placed his hand out, ready for Johnny to shake. They shook and parted ways. The following day, Russell approached Johnny, who expected another challenge. I'm sorry for yesterday. I made an ass of myself. Bullying isn't cool, and I'm sorry for calling you cripple. You are better than I am. You didn't throw a punch. You didn't have to hit me to teach me a lesson. That's not why I learn karate. It is something I enjoy. From that day forward, Russell kept to his word and never bullied anyone again. Johnny went on to achieve his third down black belt, having only used his karate on one more occasion outside the dojo. Thank you, Hazel, for this inspirational story of Johnny. I hope this inspired many of our young listeners or you adults. You can ask your children to listen to this Local story by Hazel. This is Anal, and you are listening to the stories from Basement Writers in association with Literacy Aotearoa. Literacy changes life, improves your skills, and find your voice at Literacy Aotearoa.
For further information, phone 477-2055. Hey listeners, don't go away. It's time to hear our next writer, Kathy Stevens. She'll be telling the story on health and safety. Let's find out what she has to say about it. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Anal. I would say that my story today is probably a little bit of nonsense. Health and safety. Yes, it's a subject which is always in the news and mostly for good reason. Working in today's environment means so much emphasis is placed on different policies. I would like to mention one where an infection control policy was taken to the extreme. I had the job as a health and safety rep of auditing a small rest home. The head nurse showed me around and my inspection of every area complied with the standards required. When we eventually came to the sluice room, which is an area where the cleaning equipment was kept, I saw there was a large notice on the wall which stated, Treatment room, designated clean area. Hairdressing salon, designated clean area. The kitchen, clean area. The bathrooms, clean area. Then we got to the toilets, dirty area. Then the sluice room, dirty area. The head nurse explained that night duties were very quiet and so the staff had extra various cleaning duties to perform and the notice on the wall was a guide to which mops and buckets were to be used. Simple, I thought. She explained that for both clean and dirty areas, a separate mop and bucket had to be used. I noticed that the buckets were identical, except that one had a broken squeeze grip. She went on to explain that the mop heads were a different colour to denote which one was to be used on a clean or dirty surface. The pink mop head was for clean floors and the green mop head was for dirty floors. Well, I thought, I guess that sounds feasible. Having given the rest home a pass mark, I was then invited to stop for morning coffee with the staff that were on duty. This I enjoyed immensely as they asked me what I thought about the notice in the sluice room. The head nurse had gone back to her office, so obviously they felt they could speak freely, and this is how the conversation went. One of the staff told me that it was the head nurse's idea to implement the regulations for cleaning, and she had put the notice up in the sluice room as a reminder to the night staff. They had to admit that all had gone well until the pink mop head had to be replaced. Now, unfortunately, there was no pink mop heads available as the stockist had run out of them. They were on order for several weeks, so this was changed to an orange mop head. A week or so later, the green mop head wore out and this was replaced by the pink mop head, which was now back in stock. I, for one, was now becoming confused. To make matters worse, I was told that one of the staff had decided to soak the orange mop in bleach, and it had turned a nasty shade of grey. To add to their woes, other staff members continually put the mop heads back into the wrong buckets, which just added to everybody's confusion. I had no difficulty understanding why an area should be designated clean or dirty. My problem was beginning to be which colour mop head was to be used in which area. I did make a suggestion that perhaps both mop heads could be the same colour and the handles could be marked clean or dirty. 
Obviously, this was not a good idea, as I was told when the mop heads were taken off the wooden handles and soaking in their separate buckets overnight, they could be mixed up when they were put back onto the handles the next morning. Surely, if they were both soaked overnight in bleach, would that matter? I came away thinking to myself that it was the first time that I had found infection control and health and safety to cause such confusion. I have to admit I can't wait to go back next time to see what helpful directions the head nurse might have worked out to make the staff work easier. Thank you, Kathy, for this clean and dirty notions of health and safety. What do you think about it, listeners? This is Anal, and you are listening to the Basement Writers in association with Literacy at Aora. Literacy changes life. Improve your skills and find your voice at Literacy at Aora. For further information, phone 477-2055. I think it's time for my own story. Hazel's engineering chair is nosing her head. Here is my story. To set a background, this is a story of every migrant who has been crossing their country's boundaries to be settled in new countries for many reasons either it is to refuse or it is for education or for better jobs i have written this story in the first person as this relates to my own story in many ways here comes my story is a kind of poem i try to make it a poem but you listeners you can decide that a migrant story of identity belonging and hope Everything we know from our home gradually diminishes. We become habituated with the new routine of life. Eight, we try to continue with our home style. The same old tree in the corner of our home garden comes in our dream. The same old chocolate shop and that favorite sweets keeps watering our mouth. But when we open our eyes, everything is different. we witness the vast change in our everyday life it we still live in the memories of past with the hope for a better future we console ourselves for our identities being recognized when you feel like being given equal opportunities we get motivated but when we get rejections we feel it deep into our heart then we look around ourselves see other people like ourselves from our community respected and accepted that boosts our esteem again it gives a feeling that other people like myself is being valued in this place when you see our culture being celebrated by all all our doubts fades away and encourages us to do best for this place despite everything there comes some day when you feel low we feel like being mistreated or misbehaved we start to think if migrating was a wrong decision or my compulsion but when we look at our children we forget everything we smile at their smiles we feel proud of their kiwi accent english we feel excited and hopeful the only thing that keeps you up every day is hope it's the hope for the better future and most of the time it is a better future for our children we keep up and wake up with the hope that someday our children will have future in this place we work day night night day to see that future is the hope that our children will 
one day be continuing for the success of this society and make our communities proud is the hope thank you it's time for our next writer fail careful with her story visiting my mom welcome fail thanks now although i've called this story visiting my mum it's not about my mother in particular mum did speak to her last days in hospital care but i visited quite a few old friends and relatives over the years and worked in a rest home for a short time so this little story is a collection of some of those moments It's been snowing for the last couple of days and everyone has had enough. The pretty vistas have disappeared and we just want to be able to walk down the street without slipping on frozen slush. The corn beef sandwich, her favorite, balances precariously in the same hand as my umbrella as I fight my way down the drive. No cherry gardener to be seen today. A wise man, I think. A blast of hot air has me taking a step back as the sliding doors open and the smell hits my nose. Judy has just vacuumed the hall and the perfume sachet that she puts inside the cleaner's vent has left its trail. It was one of the reasons why I bought mum here. It doesn't smell like most tourist times. A naturally pretty bowl of garden flowers sits on the reception desk and I'm greeted by my name as I sign in. I wander up the corridor to the lounge and pause, take a couple of deep breaths. You'll be right, I say. Just calm. Just stay calm. Over by the window where a smidgen of winter sun is streaming into the room, a frail little lady sits along with others but alone in her chair. Her bright cardi stands out amongst the pale blues and pinks. It's one that she knitted herself a long time ago, along with the hundreds of others for so many babies that just seem to keep coming and coming. Who's having a baby this month, she would say. My mother sings one line from an old childhood favourite over and over and over again. Annoying for some around her, it seems, as Just shut up, will you? a crumpled old gentleman shouts from the other side of the lounge. But she does not hear. I remember the sun used to be the colour of her hair, but it now echoes the moon with its shades of silver and it sits a little askew, flattened from resting that weary head and pushed into a wing that sticks out over one ear. I reach out to tidy that wing behind her ear, and she keeps singing her song. Her yesterdays have got mixed up with her todays, and the tomorrows that she still dreams about, but will never know. I watch, and I wait. Her beautiful fingers have become nobbled and stiff, her nails painted with polish that she would never have worn, and I frown and make a note to ask them not to do it. Her fingers have forgotten they're allowed to rest and she still knits with no needles and no ball of wool tumbling about on her lap. A lavender ball gown floats in her head and she stops singing for a moment to whisper his name as still she sings that one line over and over again. As she sings and knits her handsome bow franks, swings and dips her around and around. Then he pauses, then she purses her lips for that magical kiss. She has told me this so many times. Frank was her soldier that did come home from that terrible war, only he returned quite a different Frank from the one that she remembered. Part of him had been ripped away to leave a suffering that only he knew, but still, he was always her Frank. Hello dear, she suddenly greets me beaming. I know you, don't I? What's your name? It's happy hour, she says, 
as the nurse hands her a small glass of wine. The nurse makes a joke that mum doesn't hear and smiles at me as she moves on. Mum shows me her glass of wine then pulls it towards her anxious lips. A twinkle appears in her faded blue eyes as the wine trembles gently from her glass to trickle past her lips and settle in the wool of her kari. I like a wee dram, she says, brushing my hand away as I try to dab it dry. She gazes not at me, but at the empty doorway above my head. Do you know my daughter, she says. She might come today. My heart squeezes, but I say nothing. I hold her hand. A frown makes its way across her face, and the twinkle disappears. The wine is forgotten, and I take the glass from her hand. A solitary tear slips on its way down her cheek to hang on the end of her chin. It's all right, Mum, I'm here, I say with a tremble of my own, and gently wipe her tear away. Hello, dear, I know you, don't I, she smiles. What's your name? Thank you, Val. For the listeners, we are now in the third series after the successful recording and broadcast of our first and second series. If you also like... Writing and recording stories, get a team and put the first care on it. You can record your own stories, just give it a go. If you want to get involved, please contact Literacy at Era for details. We have our program finished for today. Just don't forget to listen to Basement Writers again in the next fortnight here at Otago Access Radio FM 105.4. This program is also available in podcast. You need to type oar.org.nz slash event slash basement writers in your interest in your internet browser to access it. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.